Section 4 of A Half Century of Conflict. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Half Century of Conflict by Francis Parkman. Chapter 3, Part 2. They found the inmates in distress and agitation. Storer's daughter, Mary, a girl of eighteen, was missing. The Indians had caught her and afterwards carried her prisoner to Canada. Samuel Hill and his family were captured and the younger children butchered. But it is useless to record the names and fate of the sufferers. Thirty-nine in all, chiefly women and children, were killed or carried off and then the Indians disappeared as quickly and silently as they had come, leaving many of the houses in flames. This raid upon Wells was only part of a combined attack on all the settlements from that place to Casco. Those eastward of Wells had been, as we have seen, abandoned in the last war, excepting the forts and fortified houses, but the inhabitants, reassured no doubt by the Treaty of Casco, had begun to return. On this same day, the 10th of August, they were startled from their security. A band of Indians, mixed with Frenchmen, fell upon the settlements about the stone fort near the falls of the Seco, killed eleven persons, captured twenty-four, and vainly attacked the fort itself. Others surprised the settlers at a place called Spurwink, and killed or captured twenty-two. Others, again, destroyed the huts of the fishermen at Cape Porpoise, and attacked the fortified house at Winter Harbour, the inmates of which, after a brave resistance, were forced to capitulate. The settlers at Scarborough were also in a fortified house where they made a long and obstinate defence till help at last arrived. Nine families were settled at Perpuduck Point, near the present city of Portland. They had no place of refuge, and the men being no doubt fishermen, were all absent when the Indians burst into the hamlet, butchered twenty-five women and children, and carried off eight. The fort at Casco, or Falmouth, was held by Major March with thirty-six men. He had no thought of danger when three well-known chiefs from Norwich appeared with a white flag and asked for an interview. As they seemed to be alone and unarmed, he went to meet them, followed by two or three soldiers and accompanied by two old men named Phippany and Kent, inhabitants of the place. They had hardly reached the spot when the three chiefs drew hatchets from under a kind of mantle which they wore and sprang upon them, while other Indians, ambushed nearby, leapt up and joined in the attack. The two old men were killed at once, but March, who was noted for strength and agility, wrenched a hatchet from one of his assailants and kept them all at bay till Sergeant Hook came to his aid with a file of men and drove them off. They soon reappeared, 
burnt the deserted cabins in the neighborhood and beset the garrison in numbers that continually increased till in a few days the entire force that had been busied in ravaging the scattered settlements was gathered around the place it consisted of about five hundred indians of several tribes and a few frenchmen under an officer named Beaubassin. being elated with past successes they laid siege to the fort sheltering themselves under a steep bank by the waterside and burrowing their way towards the rampart march could not dislodge them and they continued their approaches till the third day when captain southack with the massachusetts armed vessel known as the province galley sailed into the harbor recaptured three small vessels that the indians had taken along the coast and destroyed a great number of their canoes on which they gave up their enterprise and disappeared such was the beginning of queen anne's war these attacks were due less to the abenakis than to the french who set them on monsieur de vaudreuil writes the jesuit historian charlevoix formed a party of these savages to whom he joined some frenchmen under the direction of the sieur de beaubassin where they effected some ravages of no great consequence they killed however about three hundred men this last statement is doubly incorrect the whole number of persons killed and carried off during the august attacks did not much exceed one hundred and sixty and these were of both sexes and all ages from octogenarians to new-born infants the able-bodied men among them were few as most of the attacks were made upon unprotected houses in the absence of the head of the family and the only fortified place captured was the garrison house at winter harbor which surrendered on terms of capitulation the instruments of this ignoble warfare and the revolting atrocities that accompanied it were all or nearly all converted indians of the missions charlevoix has no word of disapproval for it and seems to regard its partial success as a gratifying one so far as it went one of the objects was no doubt to check the progress of the english settlements but pursues charlevoix the essential point was to commit the abenakis in such a manner that they could not draw back this object was constantly kept in view the french claimed at this time that the territory of acadia reached as far eastward as the kennebec which therefore formed in their view the boundary between the rival nations and they trusted in the abenakis to defend this assumed line of demarcation but the abenakis sorely needed english guns knives hatchets and kettles and nothing but the utmost vigilance could prevent them from coming to terms with those who could supply their necessities hence the policy of the french authorities on the frontier of new england was the opposite of their policy on the frontier of new york 
they left the latter undisturbed lest by attacking the dutch and english settlers they should stir up the five nations to attack canada while on the other hand they constantly spurred the abenakis against new england in order to avert the dreaded event of their making peace with her the attack on wells casco and the intervening settlements was followed by murders and depredations that lasted through the autumn and extended along two hundred miles of frontier thirty indians attacked the village of hampton killed the widow mussy a famous quakeress and then fled to escape pursuit at black point nineteen men going to their work in the meadows were ambushed by two hundred indians and all but one were shot or captured the fort was next attacked it was garrisoned by eight men under lieutenant wyatt who stood their ground for some time and then escaped by means of a sloop in the harbor at york the wife and children of arthur brandon were killed and the widow parsons and her daughter carried off at berwick the indians attacked the fortified house of andrew neil but were repulsed with the loss of nine killed and many wounded for which they revenged themselves by burning alive joseph ring a prisoner whom they had taken early in february a small party of them hovered about the fortified house of joseph bradley at haverhill till seeing the gate open and nobody on the watch they rushed in the woman of the house was boiling soap and in her desperation she snatched up the kettle and threw the contents over them with such effect that one of them it is said was scalded to death the man who should have been on the watch was killed and several persons were captured including the woman it was the second time that she had been a prisoner in indian hands half starved and bearing a heavy load she followed her captors in their hasty retreat towards canada after a time she was safely delivered of an infant in the midst of the winter forest but the child pined for want of sustenance and the indians hastened its death by throwing hot coals into its mouth when it cried the astonishing vitality of the woman carried her to the end of the frightful journey a frenchman bought her from the indians and she was finally ransomed by her husband by far the most dangerous and harassing attacks were those of small parties skulking under the edge of the forest or lying hidden for days together watching their opportunity to murder unawares and vanishing when they had done so against such an enemy there was no defence the massachusetts government sent a troop of horse to portsmouth and another to wells these had the advantage of rapid movement in case of alarm along the roads and forest paths from settlement to settlement but once in the woods their horses were worse than useless and they could only fight on foot fighting however was rarely possible for on reaching the scene of action 
they found nothing but mangled corpses and burning houses. The best defense was to take the offensive. In September, Governor Dudley sent 360 men to the Upper Saco, the haunt of the Pequawket tribe, but the place was deserted. Major, now Colonel March, soon after repeated the attempt, killing six Indians and capturing as many more. The general court offered forty pounds for every Indian scalp, and one Captain Ting, in consequence, surprised an Indian village in midwinter and brought back five of these disgusting trophies. In the spring of 1704, word came from Albany that a band of French Indians had built a fort and planted corn at Coos Meadows, high up the river Connecticut. On this one Caleb Lyman with five friendly Indians, probably Mohegans, set out from Northampton, and after a long march through the forest, surprised under cover of a thunderstorm, a wigwam containing nine warriors, bound, no doubt, against the frontier. They killed seven of them, and this was all that was done at present in the way of reprisal or prevention. The murders and burnings along the borders were destined to continue with little variety and little interruption during ten years. It was a repetition of what the pedantic Cotton Mather calls decennium luctuosum, or the woeful decade of William and Mary's war. The wonder is that the outlying settlements were not abandoned. These ghastly, insidious, and ever-present dangers demanded a more obstinate courage than the hottest battle in the open field. One curious frontier incident may be mentioned here, though it did not happen till towards the end of the war. In spite of poverty, danger, and tribulation, marrying and giving in marriage did not cease among the sturdy borderers, and on a day in September there was a notable wedding feast at the palisaded house of John Wheelwright, one of the chief men of Wells. Elisha Playstead was to espouse Wheelwright's daughter, Hannah, and many guests were assembled, some from Portsmouth and even beyond it. Probably most of them came in sailboats, for the way by land was full of peril, especially on the road from York which ran through dense woods where Indians often waylaid the traveller. The bridegroom's father was present with the rest. It was a concourse of men in homespun, and women and girls in such improvised finery as their poor resources could supply. Possibly, in default of better, some wore nightgowns, more or less disguised over their daily dress, as happened on similar occasions half a century later among the frontiers women of West Virginia. After an evening of rough merriment and gymnastic dancing, the guests lay down to sleep under the roof of their host or in adjacent barns and sheds. When morning came and they were preparing to depart, it was found that two horses were missing and, not doubting that they had strayed away, 
three young men sergeant tucker joshua downing and isaac cole went to find them in a few minutes several gunshots were heard the three young men did not return downing and cole were killed and tucker was wounded and made prisoner believing that as usual the attack came from some small scalping party elisha playstead and eight or ten more threw themselves on the horses that stood saddled before the house and galloped across the fields in the direction of the firing while others ran to cut off the enemy's retreat a volley was presently heard and several of the party were seen running back towards the house elisha playstead and his companions had fallen into an ambuscade of two hundred indians one or more of them were shot and the unfortunate bridegroom was captured the distress of his young wife who was but eighteen may be imagined two companies of armed men in the pay of massachusetts were then in wells and some of them had come to the wedding seventy marksmen went to meet the indians who ensconced themselves in the edge of the forest whence they could not be dislodged there was some desultory firing and one of the combatants was killed on each side after which the whites gave up the attack and lieutenant banks went forward with a flag of truce in the hope of ransoming the prisoners he was met by six chiefs among whom were two noted indians of his acquaintance bomazine and captain nathaniel they well knew that the living playstead was worth more than his scalp and though they would not come to terms at once they promised to meet the english at richmond's island in a few days and give up both him and tucker on payment of a sufficient ransom the flag of truce was respected and banks came back safe bringing a hasty note to the elder playstead from his captive son this note now lies before me and it runs thus in the dutiful formality of the olden time sir i am in the hands of a great many indians with which there is six captains they say that what they will have for me is fifty pounds and thirty pounds for tucker my fellow prisoner in good goods as broadcloth some provisions some tobacco pipes pumice stone pumice stone stockings and a little of all things if you will come to richmond's island in five days at farthest for here is two hundred indians and they belong to canada if you do not come in five days you will not see me for captain nathaniel the indian will not stay no longer for the canada indians is not willing for to sell me pray sir don't fail for they have given me one day for the days were but four at first give my kind love to my dear wife this from your dutiful son till death elisha plasted the alarm being spread and a sufficient number of men mustered 
they set out to attack the enemy and recover the prisoners by force but not an indian could be found bomazine and captain nathaniel were true to the rendezvous in due time elisha plasted was ransomed and restored to his bride end of section four